I'm Joe Mayers, and this is Think Forever. Today, we have a unique episode about partnership. With the help of several other voices, I'll be sharing two different stories side by side in the form of a radio drama. We'll see the beauty of true partnership and how a strong marriage glorifies God and blesses everyone it touches. Episode 4 Helper Part 1 This is the story of two pastor's wives, women who lived hundreds of years and thousands of miles apart, women known by only a few in the grand scope of things, but nonetheless played important roles in God's plans for his kingdom. We'll begin in Wittenberg, Germany, on the grounds of the Black Monastery, also known as the Black Cloister, originally built in 1504 to house 40 merchant monks. It was called the Black Cloister because black was the color of the monks' cowls. The monastery, including the grounds, is, as we begin our story, the home of a pastor and his family during the Protestant Reformation. Fifteen thirty six, Wittenberg, Germany, the Black Cloister. A few birds chirp, a rooster crows. It is early morning. The light from the rising sun slips across the fields of potatoes and onions on its way to the grapevines, heavy with fruit. A woman hurries along the path toward us. She pauses and smiles, perhaps thinking about the wine she'll press. Maybe before the men who board with her family drink the last few bottles in the cold cellar. The heavy braid lying across the woman's shoulder is laced with gray. Her face is creased from countless days in the sun, her hands worn from years of working in gardens, shearing sheep, milking cows. Today she carries apples in her apron, perhaps thinking of the pies she'll bake. A few bees drift behind her, their wings iridescent in the golden light. A fishmonger stands beside the wide-open kitchen door. Katerina, thought you'd gotten lost. Too many ripe apples today, Gunter. Katerina shows him her bounty. Took time to gather all these. Enough for an extra pie for a poor fisherman? He chuckles and pats his robust belly. Yes, Gunter, I'll make one for you. So long as I get a few extra herring now and then. Ah, uh, you know you do, Katerina. You're my favorite customer and I know you have many mouths to feed. Speaking of mouth, your husband is actually out of bed already. Not necessarily awake, but he did grunt at me when I put your fish in the cold cellar. He salutes Katerina and turns to his cart. Katerina smiles and hurries into the kitchen. The kitchen is dimly illuminated by a low-burning log fire in a massive open fireplace. A sturdy rod holds iron pots above the fire. Steam rises from one. Katerina's husband slumps over a roughly hewn wooden table, his head resting on his folded arms. His long fingers are stained with black ink. Katerina opens her apron and lets the apples roll onto the table. One comes to rest against his arm. Martin 
mutters something unintelligible. Katerina turns to stir something in the simmering pot. Your oatmeal is ready, dear husband. Martin mutters again. You'd think a man who can translate the Bible into the language of common man would be able to at least say good morning to his beloved wife. Katerina sets the bowl in front of Martin and puts her hand on his shoulder. She closes her eyes and bows her head. Her lips move as she prays for her husband. Nineteen sixty six, Topeka, Kansas, a Presbyterian church sanctuary. This part of our story takes place four hundred thirty years later, and four thousand eight hundred twenty two miles from where the Black Cloister still stands in Wittenberg. It is a Sunday morning. Eastern light pours through the stained glass windows, casting swaths of color across the congregants sitting in rows of wooden pews. Reverend Buchanan, wearing a black robe, stands behind a raised pulpit, strong hands gripping the sides. He is dashingly handsome, with thick black hair shot through with just the right amount of silver to make him look distinguished. He has a strong jaw, a cleft chin, and brown eyes that seem to see everything. He is the senior pastor of this Presbyterian church. Church, meaning both the group of people and the huge stone building all planted with deep roots in the black Kansas soil, a bulwark against evil, a sanctuary for souls. Midwest is a term used by some to encompass a huge swath of states, with their cities, towns, farms, fields, hills, lakes, and roiling rivers in the middle of the United States. But the actual geographical center of the lower 48 states lies just outside of Lebanon, Kansas, in the center of a hog farm, not far at all from Topeka. It may interest you to know that, to determine this epicenter, several coast and geodetic survey members cut out a cardboard map of the country, and the point where it balanced on the head of a pin was deemed to be the center. See them there, the white-coated, bespectacled men on the floor of their lab, cutting and balancing like preschoolers at play? Although scientists at the geodetic survey have stopped trying to calculate centers due to the inherent imprecision, and we know how scientists hate imprecision, don't most of us yearn to know where the pin ends up? Long for a center, despite the scientists' suggestion that we ignore such a notion altogether? This part of our story is about the Buchanan family, who lived in Middle West America very near the purported center of the United States, in a home that is both ordinary and extraordinary, a home with parents, a pastor and his wife, who love each other in the way that provides a center, that allows their four children to feel safe and secure on their way to becoming who they will eventually become. Back to our church, gleaming with the jewel tones cast by sunlight through colored glass. Pastor Buchanan's family sits side by side in a pew, seven rows back, center section, where you can find them every Sunday morning. The pastor's wife, Gail, holds a hymnal in her lap, hands folded in prayer. Her face is serene, calm, 
Her long, dark lashes lie on her cheeks as she prays. The oldest daughter, Beth, who is fourteen, sits beside her mother. Her younger siblings, strung like pearls of decreasing size on her other side. In his deep baritone, Pastor Buchanan calls for the congregation to stand and to sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a hymn written 437 years ago by Katerina's husband, Martin Luther. The congregation stands as chords from the pipe organ swell. Fifteen thirty six, Wittenberg, Germany, in the Black Cloister Parlor. A candle flame flutters from an unseen draft, perhaps slipping through the crack under the darkened window of the parlor. Katerina moves the candle holder a few inches to the left on the table and pulls her shawl more closely around her. The ornate tiered heating stove looms in the corner of the spacious room, but the logs in the base have burned down so that it is beginning to cool. The parlor is, as usual, crowded with young men, many garbed in scholars' robes. On the table are plates scraped clean. Twelve-year-old Magdalena, the Luther's oldest daughter, listens intently to the good-natured debates among Martin, the students who board in the old monastery, and this month's visiting scholars. Luther's eyes flash with passion, his hands sketching invisible illustrations to his arguments. Does he think the others can actually see what he's drawn? She shakes her head a mere fraction of an inch, but Martin notices, smiles mischievously, and winks at her. To Katerina, the debate sounds remarkably like the one the night before, which centered on one of the psalms Martin is translating this week. Although she frequently participates in the discussions, She'd already stated her opinion on this matter. She stands and begins gathering plates and empty goblets from the table. Taking her cue, most of the students and scholars begin gathering quills and notebooks, placing them in their satchels, preparing to head to their rooms. But one of the visiting scholars, a young man, Philip, remains seated and leans toward Martin, with his hands flat on the table. What about Paul's views on marriage? The room is suddenly quiet. Most of the students and visiting scholars look at the floor, at the window where the wind seems louder than before, or suddenly find the hammered metal ceiling to be exceedingly interesting. Only Philip and a few others, including Magdalena, look from Martin to Katerina and back to Martin. An interesting question. He looks at Katerina and smiles, his right brow lifted in amusement. His eyes reflect the candlelight. An interesting question indeed. Katerina comes back to the table and sits beside her daughter. Nineteen sixty-six. Topeka, Kansas. Beth was Pastor Buchanan's oldest child, a preacher's kid, or PK, as such children were often called. People asked her from time to time what it was like to be a PK. At 14, she wasn't sure how to answer. 
that life is what she knew. It was her center. We lived in a large two-story red brick house owned by the church. A manse, they called it. We just called it home. It sat on a little over a quarter acre on a quiet street lined with giant elm trees that reached like mother's prayers to intertwine above the street. After church every Sunday, our mother drove us home so we could shed our Sunday clothes and shoes and help mom start lunch. Did we call it lunch or dinner, as do many Midwesterners? I don't remember, but it was our main meal on Sundays, ready and waiting for our father when he finally said goodbye to the last church member who needed advice or prayer or just wanted to shake his hand one more time. Hamburgers. Every Sunday, hamburgers, because that's what Dad wanted. My sister and I, the older two of the four of us kids, helped pat out the ground beef and lay them on the broiler pan. We much preferred the burgers when Dad grilled them on his little charcoal grill. But after a full morning of preaching and ministering to his congregation, Mom ensured that he needed only to eat, then rest. So, while the hamburgers cooked to an unremarkable tan, Ruth and I sliced cheese and set the table in our little breakfast room, the dining room and green placemats reserved for dinners every other day of the week. To us at this time in our lives, Dad seemed like the important one, the much-admired pastor, the highly respected community member, the head of our household. But now I know we should have been watching our mother more closely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Think Forever podcast. It was written by Laura Findlay Evans and recorded by an ensemble. More information about this show, as well as our live performances, can be found on our website at www.thinkforever.org. Thank you again for listening, and be sure to join us next week when we finish Laura Findlay Evans' story, Helper. Helper.